Section 18 of History of New England, 1630 to 1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630 to 1649 by John Winthrop. Section 18, 1644, Part 1. 11 January 2nd. Captain Chaddock, having bought from the French a pinnace of about thirty tons, which Latour sold him for a demiculverin, and was the same which was taken before from D'Aulnay, he had manned and fitted her to go in her to Trinidado, and riding before Boston ready to depart, and eight men aboard her, one striking fire with a pistol, two barrels of powder took fire and blew her up. Five of the men being in the cabin were destroyed and the other three being in the other part were much scorched and hurt but got into their boat and were saved the captain himself was then on shore at boston it is observable that these men making no use of the sudden loss of three of their company but falling to drinking etc that very evening this judgment came thus upon them it is also to be observed that two vessels have thus been blown up in our harbor and both belonging to such as despise us and the ordinance of god amongst us see more page blank about this time captain daniel patrick was skilled at stamford by a dutchman who shot him dead with a pistol this captain was entertained by us out of holland where he was a common soldier of the prince's guard to exercise our men we made him a captain and maintained him after he was admitted a member of the church of watertown and a freeman but he grew very proud and vicious for though he had a wife of his own a good dutch woman and comely yet he despised her and followed after other women and perceiving that he was discovered and that such evil courses would not be endured here and being withal of a vain and unsettled disposition he went from us and sat down within twenty miles of the dutch and put himself under their protection and joined to their church without being dismissed from watertown but when the indians arose in those parts he fled to stanford and there was slain the dutchman who killed him was apprehended but made an escape and this was the fruit of his wicked course and breach of covenant with his wife with the church and with the state who had called him and maintained him and he found his death from that hand where he sought protection it is observable that he was killed upon the lord's day in the time of afternoon exercise for he seldom went to the public assemblies it was in captain underhill's house the dutchman had charged him with treachery for causing a hundred twenty men to come to him upon his promise to direct them to the indians etc but deluded them whereupon the captain gave him ill language and spit in his face and turning to go out the dutchman shot him behind in the head so he fell down dead and never spake the murderer escaped out of custody ten december three footnote i e december third sixteen forty three in footnote the hopewell a ship of boston about sixty tons arrived the freight was wines pitch sugar ginger etc she had her lading at palma an island near Tenerife the spaniards used our people courteously but put them to give security by some english merchants residing there to discharge their cargoes at boston for they would not have the portugals of the madeiras to have any goods from them footnote portugal had revolted from spain and war existed between the two in footnote she performed her voyage in four months she went a second voyage thither soon after but was never heard of her lading was corn in bulk at this time came over thomas morton our professed old adversary who had set forth a book against us and written reproachful and menacing letters to some of us footnote thomas morton of marymount author of the new english canaan in footnote some of watertown began a plantation at martin's vineyard beyond cape cod and diverse families going thither 
they procured a young man one mr green a scholar to be their minister and hoped soon to gather a church there he went not others of the same town began also a plantation at nashaway footnote now lancaster massachusetts in footnote some fifteen miles northwest from sudbury eleven january eighteenth about midnight three men coming in a boat to boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of the town cove in form like a man and went at a small distance to the town and so to the south point and there vanished away they saw them about a quarter of an hour being between the town and the governor's garden the like was seen by many a week after arising about castle island and in one-fifth of an hour came to john galp's point the country being weary of the charge of maintaining castle island the last general court made an order to have it deserted and the ordnance fetched away but boston and other towns in the bay finding that thereupon the masters of some ships which came from england took occasion to slight us and to offer injury to our people having liberty to ride and go out under no command and considering also how easily any of our towns in the bay might be surprised we having no strength without to stop them or give notice of an enemy they chose certain men out of the several towns who met at boston to consider of some course of repairing and maintaining it at their proper charge but the difficulty was how to do it without offence to the general court who had ordered the deserting of it etc the eighteenth of this month two lights were seen near boston as is before mentioned and a week after the like was seen again a light like the moon arose about the northeast point in boston and met the former at noddle's island and there they closed in one and then parted and closed and parted diverse times and so went over the hill in the island and vanished sometimes they shot out flames and sometimes sparkles this was about eight of the clock in the evening and was seen by many about the same time a voice was heard upon the water between dorchester and boston calling out in a most dreadful manner boy boy come away come away and it suddenly shifted from one place to another a great distance about twenty times it was heard by diverse godly persons about fourteen days after the same voice in the same dreadful manner was heard by others on the other side of the town towards noddle's island these prodigies having some reference to the place where captain chaddock's pinnace was blown up a little before gave occasion of speech of that man who was the cause of it who professed himself to have skill in necromancy and to have done some strange things in his way from virginia hither and was suspected to have murdered his master there but the magistrates here had not notice of him till after he was blown up this is to be observed that his fellows were all around and others who were blown up in the former ship were also found and others also who have miscarried by drowning etc have usually been found but this man was never found twelve february fifth kutchamican and egoam and josias chikatabat his heir came to the governor and in their own name and the names of all the sachems of wachuset footnote princeton and footnote and all the indians from merrimack to tecticut footnote taunton in footnote tendered themselves to our government and gave the governor a present of thirty fathom of wampum and offered to come to the next court to make their acknowledgment etc the governor received their present to keep it till the court etc and if the court and they did agree then to accept it we now began to conceive hope that the lord's time was at hand for opening a door of light and grace to those indians and some fruit appeared of our kind dealing with pumham and sacononico protecting them against the naragnasat and writing them against gorton etc who had taken away their land for this example gave encouragement to all these indians to come in and submit to our government in expectation of the like protection and benefit sixteenth pesicus the naragnasat sachem sent again a message to the governor with another present by washos a sachem who came before 
and his errand was that seeing they at our request had sitten still this year that now this next year we would grant their request and suffer them to fight with ancus with many arguments the governor refused his present and told him if they sent us one thousand fathom of wampum and a thousand skins yet we would do not that which we judged to be unjust viz to desert ancus but our resolution was that they must rest upon that if they made war upon ancus the english would all fall upon them one march twenty third the trial the first ship built in boston being about a hundred sixty tons mr thomas graves an able and a godly man master of her was sent to bilboa in the fourth month last with fish which she sold there at a good rate and from thence she freighted to malaga and arrived here this day laden with wine fruit oil iron and wool which was a great advantage to the country and gave encouragement to trade so soon as she was fitted three may she was set forth again to trade with latour and so along the eastern coast towards canada one mr rigby a lawyer and a parliament man wealthy and religious had purchased the plough patent lying at sagatashock and had given commission to one mr cleves as his deputy to govern the people there etc he landing at boston and knowing how distasteful this would be to the governor of sir ferdinand gorge's providence of new somersetshire who challenged jurisdiction in a great part of lagonia or the plough patent petitioned the general court to write to them on his behalf but the court thought not fit so to do but rather that the governor should write in his own name only which he did accordingly but when mr cleves came to set this commission on foot and called the court at casco mr richard vines and other of sir ferdinando gorgeous commissioners opposed and called another court at saco the same time whereupon the inhabitants were divided those of casco etc wrote to mr vines that they would stand to the judgment of the magistrates of the bay till it were decided in england to which government they should belong and sent this letter by one mr tucker mr vines imprisoned him and the next day took his bond for his appearance at saco and his good behavior upon this mr cleves and the rest about thirty persons wrote to our governor for assistance against mr vines and tendered themselves to the consociation of the united colonies the governor returned answer that he must first advise with the commissioners of the united colonies and besides they had an order not to receive any but such as were in a church way etc footnote the arrival of the plough with the husbandmen who were to occupy a tract at casco bay afterward called lagonia and the plough patent are described in volume one page sixty five note two in footnote not long after viz two april twenty four mr vines came to boston with a letter from himself and the other of sir f gorgeous commissioners and other inhabitants of the province between twenty and thirty three fishermen of a boat belonging to isle of shoals were very profane men and scorners of religion and were drinking all the lord's day and the next week their boat was cast upon the rocks at the isle of shoals and they drowned there was little rain this winter and no snow till the third of the first month the wind continuing west and northwest near six weeks which was an occasion that very many houses were burned down and much chattels in some of them to a greater value than in fourteen years before first march seven boston charlestown roxbury dorchester cambridge and watertown conceiving that the want of fortification at castle island would leave them open to an enemy appointed a committee to consider how it might be fortified and coming to some conclusion about it they advised with the governor and some other of the magistrates who encouraged them in it as the elders also did in their sermons but because the general court had given order for fetching off the ordnance etc it was thought not fit to attempt anything without the advice of the same 
it fell out also that five of the neighboring indian sachems came at the same time to the governor with a present of wampum about thirty fathom worth some eight pounds and desired to come under our government as pumham and sacanonico had done for these two occasions the governor summoned a general court to be held at boston this day the court of assistance being to begin the fifth day before where the committees of the said six towns exhibited a petition for fortifying of the said island craving help also from the country though they had agreed to do it at their own charge rather than fail the court refusing to undertake it they gave in certain propositions whereby they craved some aid at least for maintaining of the garrison and some privileges and immunities these came to be debated in the court some opposition there was which had almost discouraged the committee the arguments brought against it were chiefly these first the great charge second the little help it could afford against a strong enemy third the opportunity left of another passage by bird island but these objections were so far removed as after much debate the court voted for the fortification and granted a hundred pounds to pay for the maintenance of it when it should be in defence and a garrison of twenty men residing there and fifty pounds towards the securing of another passage and a committee was appointed to draw up a commission for him who should have command in chief etc but this allowance was yielded rather out of a willingness to gratify these six towns being near one half of the commonwealth for number of people and substance and to keep loving correspondency among all the towns rather than out of any confidence of safety by it many also of good judgment did conceive that the fortifications would not be accomplished according to the dimensions propounded nor so great a garrison maintained for the people were known generally to be more willing and forward in such public engagements than able upon trial to perform them for in such cases the major part which carries a vote is of such as can least afford to help to the work the court finding that gorton and his company did harm the towns where they were confined and not knowing what to do with them at length agreed to set them at liberty and gave them fourteen days to depart out of our jurisdiction in all parts and no more to come into it upon pain of death this censure was thought too light and favourable but we knew not how in justice we could inflict any punishment upon them the sentence of the court being already passed etc at this court kachamakin and squashatchem maskanonico nashkaquam and waskamagoin two sachems near the great hill to the west called wachuset came into the court and according to their former tender to the governor desired to be received under our protection and government upon the same terms that pumham and sacanonico were so he causing them to understand the articles and all the ten commandments of god and they freely assenting to all they were solemnly received and then presented the court with twenty-six fathom more of wampum and the court gave each of them a coat of two yards of cloth and their dinner and to them and their men every of them a cup of sack at their departure so they took leave and went away very joyful at this court came letters from new haven and withal an answer from the swedes and dutch to the letters of the commissioners of the union sent in the seventh month last the dutch still maintained their right to the land at hartford and their complaint of injuries the swedes denied what they had been charged with and sent copies of diverse examinations upon oath taken in the cause with a copy of all the proceeding between them and our friends of new haven from the first and in their letters used large expressions of their respect to the english and particularly to our colony and mr eaton desired a copy of our patent to show the swedish governor at his request and a new commission from the commissioners of the union allowing them to go on with their plantation and trade in the delaware river and bay for the governor had told their agent that upon such a commission they could have liberty etc this coming at the sitting of the general court the commissioners advised with the court about it 
who granted both, but the commission was a salvo jure. We were then informed also of a Dutch ship lately arrived at Hudson's River, sent to the free boers at Fort Orange, footnote, Fort Orange was later Albany. For a late and clear account of the realizations of the Dutch and English colony, see John Fisk, Dutch and English Colonies in America, Volume 1, Chapter 9. For the fortunes of the Swedish colony on the Delaware, see the same volume, page 277. Free Boers, Vrie Borin, means the free settlers as distinguished from the feudal tenants of the adjoining colony of Rensselaerswick, in footnote which brought them 4,000 weight of powder and 700 pieces to trade with the natives, which the Dutch governor having notice of did seize and confiscate to the use of the company. We had the news also that the Dutch had entertained Captain Underhill, who with 120 men, Dutch and English, had killed 120 Indians upon Long Island, and 300 more upon the main, which was found to be a plot of the Dutch governor to engage the English in that quarrel with the Indians, which we had wholly declined as doubting of the justice of the cause. At this court of assistance, one James Breton, a man ill-affected both to our church discipline and civil government, and one Mary Latham, a proper young woman about eighteen years of age, whose father was a godly man and had brought her up well, were condemned to die for adultery, upon a law formerly made and published in print. It was thus occasioned and discovered. This woman, being rejected by a young man whom she had an affection unto, vowed she would marry the next that came to her, and accordingly, against her friends' minds, she matched with an ancient man who had neither honest nor ability, and one whom she had no affection unto. Whereupon, soon after she was married, diverse young men solicited her chastity, and drawing her into bad company, and giving her wine and other gifts, easily prevailed with her, and among others this Breton. But God smiting him with a deadly palsy, and fearful horror of conscience withal, he could not keep secret, but discovered this, and other the like with other women, and was forced to acknowledge the justice of God, in that having often called others fools, etc., for confessing against themselves, he was now forced to do the like. The woman dwelt now in Plymouth Patent, and one of the magistrates there, hearing she was detected, etc., sent her to us. Upon her examination, she confessed she did not attempt the fact, but did not commit it, and witness was produced that testified, which they both confessed, that in the evening of a day of humiliation, through the country for England, etc., a company met at Britain's, and there continued drinking sack, etc., till late in the night, and then Britain and the woman were seen upon the ground together a little from the house. It was reported also that she did frequently abuse her husband, setting a knife to his breast and threatening to kill him, calling him old rogue and cuckold, and said she would make him wear horns as big as a bull. And yet some of the magistrates thought the evidence not sufficient against her, because there were not two direct witnesses. But the jury cast her, and then she confessed the fact, and accused twelve others, whereof two were married men. Five of these were apprehended and committed, the rest were gone. But denying it, and there being no other witness against them than the testimony of a condemned person, there could be no proceeding against them. The woman proved very penitent, and a deep apprehension of the foulness of her sin, and at length attained to hope of pardon by the blood of Christ, and is willing to die in satisfaction to justice. The man also was very much cast down for his sins, but was loath to die, and petitioned the general court for his life, but they would not grant it, though some of the magistrates spake much for it, and questioned the letter, whether adultery was death by God's law now. Footnote. The death penalty was provided in the body of liberties. In footnote. 
This Britain had been a professor in England, but coming hither he opposed our church government, etc., and grew dissolute, losing both power and profession of godliness. 1. March 21. They were both executed. They both died very penitently, especially the woman, who had some comfortable hope of pardon of her sin, and gave good exhortation to all young maids to be obedient to their parents and to take heed of evil company, etc. The Earl of Warwick and other lords, etc., being appointed by the Parliament Commissioners for regulating the West Indies and all other English plantations in America, sent commission to Virginia to free them from all former taxations and all other charges but such as should be needful for their own occasions, and gave them liberty to choose their own governor, and sent command to all English ships there, which were then to the number of sixteen, most of them great ships, to assist them if need were. But the king sending a countermand to Sir Robert Berkeley, the governor, he withstood the Parliament's commissioners, and drew most of the other magistrates to take oath upon the sacrament to maintain the king's authority, etc., so that the whole country is like to rise in parties, some for the king and others for the Parliament. Footnote. Sir William Berkeley, not Robert, the ultra-cavalier who thus in Virginia upholds the king in opposition to the houses, is the official who writes, quote, I thank God there are no free schools nor printing, and I hope we shall not have these hundred years. End quote. The Civil War is now at its height, just before the Battle of Marston Moor, and naturally there are echoes of it in the colonies. For description of Virginia condition, see L. G. Tyler, England and America, American Nation series, chapter five and six. End footnote. A proposition was made this court for all the English within the United Colonies to enter into a civil agreement for the maintenance of religion and our civil liberties, and for yielding some more of the freemen's privileges to such as were no church members than should join in this government. But nothing was concluded but referred to next court, and in the meantime that letters should be written to the other colonies to advise with them about it. Nothing was effected for want of opportunity of meeting, etc. At the same time in the first month, upon the motion of the deputies, it was ordered that the court should be divided in their consultations, the magistrates by themselves, and the deputies by themselves, what the one agreed upon they should send to the other, and if both agreed, then to pass, etc. This order determined the great contention about the negative voice. Footnote. The momentous issue of the sow business is here noted. Another important business of the present court Winthrop fails to notice. The gathering of the Massachusetts townships into the four counties of Suffolk, Norfolk, Essex, and Middlesex. Records of Massachusetts, Volume 2, page 38. In footnote. Diverse of the merchants of Boston being desirous to discover the Great Lake, supposing it to lie to the northwest part of our patent, and finding that the great trade of beaver, which came to all the eastern and southern parts, came from thence, petitioned the court to be a company for that design, and to have the trade which they should discover to themselves for twenty-one years. The court was very unwilling to grant any monopoly, but perceiving that without it they would not proceed, granted their desire, whereupon, having also commission granted them under the public seal, three, and letters from the governor to the Dutch and Swedish governors, they sent out a pinnace well manned and furnished with provisions and trading stuff, which was to sail up Delaware River so high as they could go, and then some of the company, under the conduct of Mr. William Aspinwall, a good artist, and one who had been in those parts, to pass by small skiffs or canoes up the river so far as they could. Many of Watertown and other towns joined in the plantation at Nashaway, and having called a young man, a university scholar, one Mr. Norcross, to be their minister, seven of them, who were no members of any churches, were desirous to gather into a church estate. 
but the magistrates and elders advised them give first to go and build them habitations etc for there was yet no house there and then to take some of that were members of other churches with the consent of such churches as formerly had been done and so proceed orderly but the person's interest in this plantation being most of them poor men and some of them corrupt in judgment and others profane it went on very slowly so that in two years they had not three houses built there and he whom they had called to be their minister left them for their delays one dalkin and his wife dwelling near medford came from cambridge where they had spent their sabbath and being to pass over the river at a ford the tide not being fallen enough the husband adventured over and finding it too deep persuaded his wife to stay a while but it raining very sore she would needs adventure over and was carried away with the stream past her death her husband not daring to go help her cried out and thereupon his dog being at his house near by came forth and seeing something in the water swam to her and she caught hold on the dog's tail so he drew her to the shore and saved her life at the general court eight october fourth there came a letter to the governor from mr wheelwright who is now moved from exeter to wells near cape porpoise where he was pastor of a church the contents whereof were as followeth right worshipful upon the long and mature consideration of things i perceive that the main difference between yourselves and some of the reverend elders and me in point of the justification and the evidencing thereof is not of that nature and consequence as was then presented to me in the false glass of satan's temptations and my own distempered passions which makes me unfeignedly sorry that i had such a hand in those sharp and vehement contentions raised thereabouts to the great disturbance of the churches of christ it is a grief of my soul that i use such vehement censorious speeches in the application of my sermon or in any other writing whereby i reflected any dishonor upon your worships the reverend elders or any of contrary judgment to myself it repents me that i did so much adhere to persons of corrupt judgment to the countenancing of them in any of their errors or evil practices though i intended no such thing and that in the synod i used such unsafe and obscure expressions falling from me as a man dazzled with the buffetings of satan and that i did appeal from misapprehension of things i confess that herein i have done very sinfully and do humbly crave pardon of this honored state if it shall appear to me by scripture light that in any carriage word writing or action i have walked contrary to rule i shall be ready by the grace of god to give satisfaction thus hoping that you will pardon my boldness i humbly take leave of your worship committing you to the good providence of the almighty and ever remain your worships in all service to be commended in the lord j wheelwright wells seven ten to forty three footnote i e september tenth sixteen forty three upon this letter the court was very well inclined to release his banishment and thereupon ordered that he might have a safe conduct to come to the court etc hereof the governor certified him by letter and received this answer from him right worshipful i have received the letter wherein you signify to me that you have imparted my letter to the honorable court and that it finds good applause for which i rejoice with much thankfulness i am very thankful to your worship for the letter of safe conduct which i formerly received is likewise for the late act of court granting me the same liberty in case i desire letters to that end i should very willingly upon letters received expressed by word of mouth openly in court that which i did by writing might i without offence explain my true intent and meaning more fully to this effect then notwithstanding my failings for which i humbly crave pardon yet i cannot with a good conscience condemn myself for such capital crimes dangerous revelations and gross errors 
as have been charged upon me, the concurrence of which, as I take it, make up the very substance of the cause of all my sufferings. I do not see, but in so mixed a cause I am bound to use, may it be permitted, my just defense, so far as I apprehend myself to be innocent, as to make my confession where I am convinced of any delinquency, otherwise I shall seemingly in an appearance fall under guilt of many heinous offenses, for which my conscience doth acquit me. If I seem to make suit of the honorable court for relaxation to be granted, by an act of mercy upon my sole confession, I must defend my conscience, if by an act of justice upon mine apology and lawful defense. I fear lest I shall offend your worships. I leave all these things to your wise and godly consideration, hoping that you will pardon my simplicity and plainness, which I am forced unto you by the power of an overruling conscience. I rest your worships in the Lord. J. Wheelwright. Wells 1, 1 through 43. Footnote i.e. March 1, 1643-1644. To this the governor replied to this effect, viz., that though his liberty might be obtained without his personal appearance, yet that was doubtful, nor did he conceive that a wise and modest apology would prejudice the acceptance of his free and ingenuous confession, seeing the latter would justify the sentence of the court, which looked only at his action, and yet by the former he might maintain the liberty of his conscience in clearing his intention from those ill-deserving crimes which the court apprehended by his action. And withal, because there might want opportunity of conveyance before the court, he sent him enclosed to safe conduct, etc. The next court released his banishment without his appearance. Footnote. The restoration of this able man to the colonies was a great benefit. In later life he went to England, where he is said to have been in high favor with Cromwell, Returning, he survived till 1680, being at his death the oldest minister in the country. In footnote. 3. May 20th. A ship coming from Virginia certified us of a great massacre lately committed by the natives upon the English there, to the number of 300 at least, and that an Indian whom they had since taken confessed that they did it because they saw the English took up all their lands from them and would drive them out of the country, and they took this season for that they understood that they were at war in England and began to go to war among themselves, for they had seen a fight in the river between a London ship which was for the Parliament and a Bristol ship which was for the King. He confessed further that all Indians within six hundred miles were confederate together to root out all strangers of the country. It was very observable that this massacre came upon them soon after they had driven out the godly ministers we had sent to them, and had made an order that all such as would not conform to the discipline of the Church of England should depart the country by a certain day, footnote the act may be seen in henning statutes of virginia volume one page 277 in footnote which the massacre now prevented and the governor one sir robert berkeley a courtier and very malignant towards the way of our churches here in council had appointed a fast to be kept through the country upon good friday as they call it for the good success of the king etc and the day before this massacre began in the out parts of the country round about and continued two days for they killed all by sudden surprise living amongst them, and as familiar in their houses as those of the family. This massacre was accompanied by a great mortality. Upon these troubles diverse godly disposed persons came from thence to New England, and many of the rest were forced to give glory to God in acknowledging that this evil was sent upon them from God for their reviling the gospel and those faithful ministers he had sent among them. Footnote. Among those refugees from Virginia was probably Daniel Gukin, afterward major-general, honorably distinguished in various ways, and especially for his humane spirit towards the Indians at a time when humanity could not be shown without risk. In footnote. 
A letter came to the governor, under the marks of Pesicus and Canonicus, the Sachin Varangnasat, but written by Gorton's company to this effect, that they were purposed to make war upon Ancus in revenge of the death of Ancus, footnote, for Ancus must be read Miantenema, in footnote, and others of their people whom he had slain, and that they marveled why we should be against it, that they had put themselves under the government protection of the king of England, and so were now become our fellow subjects, and therefore if any difference should fall between us and them, it ought to be referred to him, professing with all their willingness to continue all friendly correspondency with us. The general court being assembled, when Mr. Endicott was chosen governor, footnote, Endicott now becomes governor for the first time, though before the formal organization he was chief agent in the inchoate colony, in footnote, and Mr. Winthrop, deputy governor, they took this letter into consideration, together with another from Gorton's company to the same effect, and sent two messengers to the Narangasats with instructions to this purpose, viz., to know whether they did own that letter, etc., and by whose advice they had done as they wrote, and why they would countenance and take counsel from such evil men, and such as we had banished from us, and to persuade them to sit still, and to have more regard to us than such as Gorton, etc., when our messengers came to them, Canonicus would not admit them into his wigwam for two hours, but suffered them to stay in the rain. When he did admit them, he lay along upon his couch, and would not speak to them more than a few froward speeches, but referred them to Pesicus, who, coming after some four hours, carried them into an ordinary wigwam, and their bad conference with them most part of the night. Their answers were witty and full to the questions, and their conclusion was that they would presently go to war upon Ancus, but not in such manner as Miantenema had done by a great army, but by sending out parties of twenty or more or less to catch his men and keep them from getting their living, etc. At this court, Passaconaway, the Merrimack Sachem, came in and submitted to our government, as Pumham, etc., had done before. For June 5th, two of our minister's sons, being students in the college, robbed two dwelling houses in the night of some fifteen pounds. Being found out, they were ordered by the governors of the college to be there whipped, which was performed by the president himself, yet they are about twenty years of age, and after they are brought into the court and ordered to twofold satisfaction or to serve so long for it, we yet no particular punishment for burglary. Footnote. The young men were the sons of Nathaniel Ward and Thomas Weld. The latter was already in England, whither the former also returned in 1646. Ward left the college six hundred acres of land in Andover, which he had received from the governor, thus showing he bore no grudge for the treatment of his son, in footnote. At this court there arose some troubles by this occasion. Those of Essex had procured at the court before, that the deputies of these several shires should meet before this court to prepare business, etc., which accordingly they did, and propounded diverse things which they agitated and concluded among themselves, without communicating them to the other shires, who conceived that they had only such things as had concerned the commonwealth, but when they came now to be put to this court, it appeared that their chief intent was to advantage their own shire. As, one, by drawing the government thither, two, by drawing the courts thither, three, by drawing a good part of the country stock thither, four, by procuring four of those parts to be joined in a commission with the magistrates. And for this end they had made so strong a party among the deputies of the smaller towns, being most of them mean men, and such as had small understanding in affairs of state, as they easily carried all these among the deputies. But when the two bills came to the magistrates, they discerning the plot, and finding them hurtful to the commonwealth, 
refused to pass them and a committee of both being appointed to consider the reasons of both sides those of the magistrates prevailed but the great difference was about a commission which the deputies sent up whereby power was given to seven of the magistrates and three of the deputies and mr ward sometime pastors of ipswich and still a preacher to order all affairs of the commonwealth in the vacancy of the general court which the magistrates returned with this answer that they conceived such commission did tend to the overthrow of the foundation of our government and of the freemen's liberty and therefore desired the deputies to consider of a way how this danger might be avoided and the liberty of the freemen preserved inviolable otherwise they could not comfortably proceed in other affairs upon this return all the deputies came to confer with the magistrates the exceptions the magistrates took were these first that this court should create general officers which the freemen had reserved to the court of elections second that they should put out four of the magistrates from that power and trust which the freemen had committed to them three at the commission itself seeing they ought not to accept that power by commission which did belong to them by the cat and, and by their election they had little answer to this yet they alleged a precedent or two where this court had ordered some of the magistrates and some others to be a council of law and that we had varied from our patent and some other things and therefore were not bound to it in this but they chiefly stood upon this that the governor and assistants had no power out of court but what was given them by the general court to this the magistrates replied first that such examples as were against rules or common right were errors and no precedents second that counsel was for one particular case only and not of general extent three in those things wherein we had varied from our patent we did not touch the foundation of our government to the last it was said that the governor and assistants had power of government before he had any written laws or had kept any courts and to make a man a governor over a people gives him by necessary consequence power to govern that people otherwise there were no power in any commonwealth to order dispose or punish in any case where it might fall out that there were no positive law declared in it was consented to that this court had authority to order and direct the power of these magistrates for time place persons etc for the common good but not wholly to deprive them of it their office continuing so as these being chosen by the people by virtue of the patent to govern the people a chief part whereof consists in the council there the standing council of the commonwealth and therefore in the vacancy of the court may act in all the affairs thereof without any commission upon this they withdrew and after a few hours came again and then they tendered a commission for war only and none of the magistrates to be left out but the magistrates refused to accept of any commission but they would consent the same should pass by order so as the true power of the magistrates might be declared in it or to a commission of association to add three or four others to the magistrates in that council or to, to continue the court a week longer and to send for the elders to take their advice in it but none of these would be accepted but they then moved that we would consent that nothing might be done till the court made again which was before agreed to be adjourned to the twenty eighth of eight october to this was answered that if equation required they must act according to the power and trust committed to them to which their speaker replied you will not be obeyed footnote the democracy was pressing with anglo-saxon sturdiness toward power in footnote four june twenty three two days after the court was broken up pumham sent two men to boston to tell us that the narragansetts had taken and killed six of Ancas's men and five women and had sent him two hands and a foot to engage him in the war but he refused to receive them and sent to us for counsel etc this occasioned such of the magistrates and deputies as were at hand advising also with some of the near elders to meet to consult about calling the court and agreed both in regard of this news from the indians 
and especially for speedy reconciling the magistrates and deputies, to write to the governor that the court might be called the 28th following, which the governor assented unto. The court being assembled, they took order for ten men to be sent to Pumham according to the, his desire, to help him make a fort of palisados, etc., but the men being volunteers, asked ten shillings per week for each man, and such spoil as they should get if they were put to fight, and arms fixed, and powder and shot. Whereupon the court, fearing it would be an ill precedent, stayed, and sent word to Pumham that the men were ready, but he must pay them, etc. The commission also for the sergeant major general was agreed and sealed, and in that he was referred to receive his instructions, etc., from the council of the commonwealth, but who were this council was not agreed. Whereupon the magistrates, all save two, signed a declaration and maintenance of their authority, and declared the aspersions cast upon them, as if they intended to bring in an arbitrary government, etc. This they sent first to the deputies, with intimation that they intended to publish it, whereupon the deputies sent to desire that it might not be published, and desired a committee might meet to state the difference between us, which was done, and the difference was brought under this question. Whether the magistrates are by patent and election of the people, the standing council of the commonwealth, and the vacancy of the general court, and have power accordingly to act in all cases subject to government, according to the said patent and laws of this jurisdiction, and when any necessary occasions calls for actions from authority, in cases where there is no particular express law provided, there to be guided by the word of God, till the general court give particular rules to such cases. This difference being thus stated, they drew up the following order and sent it to us fees. Whereas there is a difference between the governor, assistants, and deputies in this court, concerning the power of the magistrates and the vacancy of the general court, we therefore, salvo jure, for the peace and safety of this colony, do consent, that the governor and assistants shall take order for the welfare of this commonwealth in all sudden cases that may happen within our jurisdiction, until the next session of this court, when we desire this question may be determined. This we accepted with salvo jure, but we had refused to accept of another they sent us before in these words. We do authorize those three which are of the standing council to proceed, etc. Upon this agreement, the magistrates consented that the declaration should remain with the secretary and not be published without the consent of the major part of the magistrates, which we intended not to do, except we were necessitated thereto by the deputy's misreport of our proceedings. And indeed, some of the magistrates did decline the publishing thereof, upon this apprehension, that it would cause a public breach throughout the country, and if it should come to that, the people would fall into factions, and the non-members would certainly take part with the magistrates, we should not be able to avoid it, and those would make us and our cause, though never so just, obnoxious to the common sort of freemen, the issue whereof must needs have been very doubtful. Footnote. The theocracy, in which a privileged body exercised a power that was oppressive, the people, except the church's members, being without franchise, was not a polity agreeable to Englishmen. In 1665 came what Brooks Adams calls the, quote, emancipation of Massachusetts, end quote, with a form of government much freer and better, though introduced under the auspices of the restored Stuarts. In footnote. 5. July 2nd. Mr. George Phillips was buried. He was the first pastor of the Church of Watertown, a godly man, specially gifted and very peaceful in his place, much lamented of his own people and others. Another great error the deputies committed, which also arose out of the same false bottom fees, the choosing one of the younger magistrates, though a very able man, Mr. Bradstreet, footnote, Simon Bradstreet, already useful and distinguished and destined to become more so, was born in 1603 and received part of his education at Emmanuel College, Cambridge, before his immigration. 
He performed a noble service ten years later in opposing a war by New England against the New Netherlands, the English Commonwealth at the time being engaged in their unfortunate struggle with Holland. He was elected as one of the best men in the colony to accompany John Norton to England to establish good relations after the Restoration. He died full of years of honors in 1697. At this time, Bradstreet and Hathorne lived respectively at Ipswich and Salem. In footnote. And one of the deputies, Mr. Hathorne, the principal man in all these agitations, a young man also, to be commissioners for the United Colonies. Both Easter men, quite of the way of opportunity of correspondency with the other confederates, whereas all the rest had chosen either their governors or other chief magistrates, and ourselves had formerly chosen the governor and Mr. Dudley. Thus usual it is for one heir in the state to beget others. This also was a failing in them, that when the governor of Plymouth, our brethren and confederates, wrote earnestly to us, in their great want of powder, to supply them out of our store, and the magistrates had granted them two barrels, the deputies stopped it, and would not consent they might have liberty to buy for their money. Those also of Aquaday Island, being in great fear of the Indians, wrote to us for some powder and other ammunition, but the court was then adjourned, and because the deputies had denied our confederates, the magistrates thought not fit to supply them, but certainly it was an error, in state policy at least, not to support them, for though they were desperately erroneous, and in such distraction among themselves as portended their ruin, yet if the Indians should prevail against them, it would be a great advantage to the Indians, and danger to the whole country by the arms, etc., that would there be had, and by the loss of so many persons and so much cattle and other substance belonging to above a hundred twenty families. Or, if they should be forced to seek protection from the Dutch, who would be ready to accept them, it would be a great inconvenience to all the English to have so considerable a place in the power of strangers so potent as they are. Another error also was this, that, when by the Articles of Confederation we were bound, if any of our confederates upon any pressing occasion should send to us for aid, we should forthwith send them such a number of men as is agreed upon in the Articles, yet the deputies would not consent, that upon any such occasion the magistrate should raise any man, without calling a general court, which would put the country to great charge, and might occasion the loss of the opportunity, and when they should be assembled, there would be no use of counsel, the thing being already determined by the Articles of Confederation. 5. July 15. Upon the earnest importunity of Pumham, who feared the Narangnesets because of their threatenings, that it might really appear that we did own them and would protect them, we sent ten men and an officer, a discreet man, to command them, and gave them commission to stay there one, two, or three days, etc., with charge not to enter into the limits of Narangnesset, nor to provoke them, etc., and if they were forced to defend themselves, yet they should not pursue the enemy if he retired, etc. Two new ships, one of 250 tons, both at Cambridge, the other of 200, both at Boston, set sail towards the Canaries laden with pipe saves, fish, etc. The court, breaking up in haste, it being on the evening of the fast appointed, gave order to the magistrates in the bay to return answer to the Dutch governor's letter of 12, February 11th, which accordingly was done to this effect, v. gratulation of his respect and correspondency with us, manifestation of our good will to him, and desire of continuance of all friendly intercourse, etc., acknowledging that he had largely and prudently discoursed of the matter's indifference, but we are also to attend the allegations of the other part. But seeing proofs were not yet had on either side, we could expect no further answer than before, but if he would please to send commissioners to Hartford to treat with the commissioners for the colonies, it would be very acceptable, and a hopeful means to prepare for a good issue. 
Anabaptistry increased and spread in the country, which occasioned the magistrates at the last court to draw order for banishing such as continued obstinate after due conviction. This was sent to the elders, who approved of it with some mitigations, and being voted, and sent to the deputies, it was after published. Footnote. Though Winthrop now connived at such intolerance, later he is said to have grown wiser. When pressed on his deathbed by Dudley to sign an order banishing a heterodox offender, he is said to have replied, I have done too much of that work already. Hutchinson, History of Massachusetts Bay, Volume 1, 142. In footnote. A poor man of Hingham, one painter, who had lived at New Haven and at Raleigh in Charleston, and been scandalous and burdensome by his idle and troublesome behavior to them all, was now on the sudden turned Anabaptist, and having a child born, he would not suffer his wife to bring it to the ordinance of baptism, for she was a member of the church, though himself were not. Being presented for this, and enjoined to suffer the child to be baptized, he still refusing and disturbing the church, he was again brought to the court not only for his former contempt, but also for saying that our baptism was anti-Christian, and in the open court he affirmed the same. Whereupon, after much patience and clear conviction of his error, because he was very poor, so as no other but corporal punishment could be fastened upon him, he was ordered to be whipped, not for his opinion, but for reproaching the Lord's ordinance, and for his bold and evil behavior both at home and in the court. He endured his punishment with much obstinacy, and when he was loosed, he said boastingly that God had marvelously assisted him. Whereupon two or three honest men, his neighbors, affirmed before all the company that he was of very loose behavior at home, and given much to lying and idleness, etc. Nor had he in any great occasion to gather God's assistance for stillness under the punishment, which was but moderate, for diverse notorious malefactors had showed the like, and won the same court. 5. July 15th. Here arrived Monsieur Latour, who understood by letters from his lady that Monsieur d'Aulny had prevailed against him in France, and was coming with great strength to subdue him, whereupon he came to desire some aid if need should be. Natascott being formally made a town, and having now twenty houses and a minister, was by the last general court named Hull. At this court Captain Jennison, captain of a military company in Watertown, an able man who had been there from the first settling of that town, having a year before, being then a deputy in private conference, questioned the lawfulness of the Parliament's proceeding in England, was sent for by the deputies and examined about it, and after before the magistrates. He ingenuously confessed his scruple, but took offense, that being a church member and in public office, he should be openly produced merely for matter of judgment, not having been first dealt with in private, either in a church way or by some of the magistrates, which seemed to some of the court to have been a failing. The court was unwilling to determine him out of place, having been a very useful man, etc., yet not seeing how he might be trusted because of that judgment, yet professing that he was assured that those of the Parliament side were the more godly and honest part of the kingdom, and that though, if he were in England, he should be doubtful whether he might take their part against their prince, yet, if the king or any party from him should attempt anything against this commonwealth, he should make no scruple to spend a state and life and all in our defense against them, he was dismissed to further consideration, and the court being broken up, he came soon after to some of the magistrates and told them that this questioning in the court had occasioned him to search further into the point, and he was now satisfied that the Parliament's cause was good, and if he were in England he would assist in defense of it. Footnote. The better prospects of the Parliament, now held by Scotland, made concealment of sympathy with it no longer necessary. In footnote. 
the contentions in hapton were grown to a great height the whole town was divided into two factions one with mr bachelor their late pastor and the other with mr dalton their teacher both men very passionate and wanting discretion and moderation their differences were not in matters of opinion but of practice mr dalton's party being the most of the church and so freemen had great advantage of the other though a considerable party and some of them of the church also whereby they carried all affairs both in church and town according to their own minds and not with that respect to their brethren and neighbors which had been fit diverse meetings had been both of magistrates and elders and parties had been reconciled it would break out presently again each side being apt to take fire upon any provocation whereupon mr bachelor was advised to remove and was called to exeter whither he intended to go but they being divided and a great difference also when one party had appointed a day of humiliation to gather a new church and call mr bachelor the court sent order to stop it for they considered that they were not in a fit condition for such a work and beside mr bachelor had been in three places before and through his means as was supposed the churches fell to such divisions as no peace could be till he was removed and at this court there came petition against petition both from hampton and exeter whereupon the court ordered two or three magistrates to be sent to hampton with full power to hear and determine all differences there at winham also there was a public assembly for gathering a church but the magistrates and elders present finding upon trial that the persons appointed were not fit for foundation stones they advised them not to proceed which they obeyed four and five june and july about this time mr vines of sago mr short of pimiquid and one mr wannerton of pascatequack went to latour to call for some debts etc in their way they put in at penobscot and were there detained prisoners a few days but after for mr short's sake to whom de Alnay was in debt they were dismissed and going to latour mr wannerton and some other englishmen of the eastern parts were entertained by him and sent with some twenty of his men to try if they could not take penobscot for he understood the fort was weakly manned and in want of victual they went first to a farmhouse of d'alney's about six miles off and there one or ten and two more went and knocked at the door with their swords and pistols ready one opens the doors and another presently shoots wannerton dead and a third shoots his second in the shoulder but he withal discharges pistol upon him that shot him and killed him then other of wannerton's company came in and took the house and the two men for there were no more prisoners and they burnt the house and killed the cattle they found there and so embarked themselves and came to boston to latour this thomas wannerton was a stout man and had been a soldier many years he had lived very wickedly in whoredom drunkenness and quarrelling so as he had kept the pascatequack men under awe of him diverse years till they came under this government and since that he was very much restrained and the people freed from his terror he had of late come under some terrors and motions of the spirit by means of the preaching of the word but he had shaken them off and returned to his former dissolute course and so continued till god cut him off by the sudden execution but this hostile action being led on by an englishman of our jurisdiction it was like to provoke to only the more against us three may third there is mention made before of a pinnace sent by the company of discoverers to delaware river with liberties from the governor to the dutch and swedish governors for liberties to pass the dutch promised to let them pass but for maintaining their own interests he must protest against them when they came to the swedes the fort shot at them ere they came up whereupon they cast forth anchor and the next morning being the lord's day the lieutenant came aboard and forced them to fall down lower 
When Mr. Aspinamal came to the governor and complained of the lieutenant's ill-dealing, both in shooting at them before he had hailed them, and in forcing them to weigh anchor on the Lord's day. The governor acknowledged that he did ill in both, and promised all favor, but the Dutch agent, being come down to the Swede's fort, showed express order from the Dutch governor not to let him pass, whereupon they returned. But before they came out of the river, the Swedish lieutenant made them pay forty shillings for that shot which he had unduly made. The pinnace arrived at Boston, 5-20-44, footnote, i.e., July 20, 1644, in footnote, sea page. A Dutch ship came from the West Indies and brought to Manhattanos two hundred soldiers from Kuresku, footnote, Manhattan, Kuresku, in footnote, which was taken by the Portugal and Indians and three hundred slain of the Dutch part, as was reported. 23rd. Latour having been with the governor at Salem, and made known his condition to him, he was moved with compassion towards him, and appointed a meeting of the magistrates and elders at Boston this day. In opening Latour's case, it appeared that the place, or as far it was, had been purchased by his father of Sir William Alexander, and he had a free grant of it, and of all that part of New England, under the great seal of Scotland, and another grant of a Scotch baronetcy under the same seal, and that himself and his father had continued in possession, etc., about thirty years, footnote, Alexander's own grant was only of date 1621, in footnote, and that Port Royal was theirs also, until the Alni had dispossessed him of it by force within these five years. Most of the magistrates and some of the elders were clear, in the case that he was to be relieved, both in point of charity as a distressed neighbor, and also in point of prudence, as thereby to root out, or at least weaken, an enemy or a dangerous neighbor. But because many of the elders were absent, and three or four of the magistrates dissented, it was agreed that the rest of the elders should be called in, and that another meeting should be at Salem the next week. When they were met, the governor propounded the case to them, and it was brought to the two former questions. 1. Whether it were lawful for true Christians to aid an anti-Christian. 2. Whether it were safe for us in point of prudence. After much disputation, some of the magistrates and elders remaining unsatisfied, and the rest not willing to conclude anything in this case without a full consent, a third way was propounded, which all assented to, which was this, that a letter should be made to Dalney to this effect, viz., that by occasion of some commissions of his, which had come to our hands, to his captains to take our people, etc., and not knowing any just occasion we had given him to know the reason thereof, and withal to demand satisfaction for the wrongs he had done, us and our confederates in taking Penobscot, and our men and goods at Idle Sable, and threatening to make prize of our vessels if they came to Penobscot, etc., declaring withal that although our men, which went last year to aid Latour, did it without any commission from us, or any counsel to act or permission of our state, yet if he made it appear to us they should have done him any wrong, which yet we knew not of, we should be ready to do him justice, and requiring his express answer by the bearer, and expecting that he should call in all such commissioners, etc. We subscribed the letter with the hands of eight of the magistrates, and directed it to Monsieur de Alnay, knight, general for the king of France at L'Acadie at Port Royal. We sent it in English, because he had written to our governor in French. But understanding that he had been formerly scrupulous to answer letters in English, we therefore gave the messenger a copy of it in French. We sent also in the letter a copy of an order published by the governor and council, whereby we forbade all our people to use any act of hostility, otherwise than in their own defense, towards French or Dutch, etc., till the next general court, etc. 
In our letter, we also mentioned a course of trade our merchants had entered into with Latour, and our resolution to maintain the minute. Before this letter was sent, we had intelligence from the West Indies that D'Aulnay was met at sea by some Biscayers and a ship sunk, yet not being certain hereof, when Latour went home, we sent the letter by a vessel of our own which accompanied him to be delivered if occasion were. This news proved false, and no such thing was, and indeed it was so usual to have false news brought from all parts that we were doubtful of the most probable reports. At the same meeting, there were three other questions on foot. The first was upon this occasion. Captain Stagg, arriving at Boston in a ship of London of 24 pieces of ordnance, and finding here a ship of Bristol of 100 tons, laden with fish for Bilboa, he made no speech of any commission he had, but having put on shore a good part of his lading, which was wine for Tenerife, he suddenly weighed anchor, and with the sea turned sailed from before Boston to Charlestown, and placed his ship between Charleston and the Bristol ship, and moored herself abreast her. Then he called the master of the Bristol ship, and showed him his commission, and told him, if he would yield, himself and all his should have what belonged to them, and their wages to that day, and turning up the half-hour glass, set him in his own ship again, requiring to have his answer by that time of half an hour. The master coming aboard acquainted his men with it, and demanded their resolution. Two or three would have fought, or rather have blown up their ship, than have yielded, but the greater part prevailed, so she was quietly taken, all of the men save three sent to Boston, and their order was taken by the captain for their diet. Footnote. The Civil War, as appears here, came near to actual battle on this side of the Atlantic. London was strong for the houses, the west of England, of which Bristol was the metropolis, long held for the king, and ships were roundhead or cavalier according to the ports whence they sailed. In footnote. In this half-hour's time much people gathered together upon Windmill Hill to see the issue, and some who had interest in the ship, especially one Bristol merchant, a very bold malignant person, began to gather company and raise a tumult. But some of the people present laid hold of them and brought them to the deputy governor, who committed the merchant and some others who were strangers to a chamber in an ordinary, with a guard upon them, with a guard upon them, and others who were town dwellers he committed to prison and sent the constable to require the people to depart to their houses, and then hearing that the ship was taken, he wrote to the governor to know by what authority he had done it in our harbor, who forthwith repaired to him with his commission, which was to this effect. Robertus Comus Warwitzi, etc., Magnus Admiralis Angliae, etc., Omnibus Iugiscine, Status Honores, etc., Salutem. Sietus quod in a registro curiae admiralitatis, etc., and so resorts the ordinance of Parliament in English to this effect, that it should be lawful for all men, etc., to set forth ships and to take all vessels in or outward bound to or from Bristol, Barnstable, Dartmouth, etc., in hostility against the King and Parliament, and to visit all ships in any port or creek, etc., by force, if they should refuse, etc., and they were to have the whole prize to themselves paying the tenth to the admiral, provided, before they went forth, they should give security to the admiral to observe their commission, and that they should make a true invoice of all goods, and not break bulk, but bring the ship to the admiral and two or three of the officers, and that they should not rob or spoil any of the parliament's friends, and so concludes thus, Steg capitaneas obligavit se, etc., in bis mille libris, etc., in cujus re testimonian sigillum admiralitatis presentibus aponi feci, dat March 1644. 
Upon sight of this commission, the deputy appointed Captain Stagg to bring or send it to the meeting at Salem, and the tumult being pacified, he took bond with sureties of the principal stirrers to appear at the meeting and to keep the peace in the meantime. The captain brought his commission to Salem, and there it was read and considered. Some of the elders, the last Lord's Day, had in their sermons reproved this proceeding, and exhorted the magistrates, etc., to maintain the people's liberties, which were, they said, violated by this act, and that a commission could not supersede a patent. And at this meeting some of the magistrates and some of the elders were of the same opinion that the captain should be forced to restore the ship, but the greater part of both were of a different judgment. The reasons were these. 1. Because this could be no precedent to bar us from opposing any commission or other foreign power that might indeed tend to our hurt and violate our liberty, for the Parliament had taught us that salus populi as suprema lex. 2. The King of England was enraged against us, and all that party, and all the Popish states in England, and if we should now, by opposing the Parliament, cause them to forsake us, we could have no protection or countenance from any, but should lie open as a prey to all men. 3. We might not deny the Parliament's power in this case, unless we should deny the foundation of our government by our patent, for the Parliament's authority will take place in all peculiar and privileged places, where the king's rights or commissions will not be a force, as in the Duchy of Lancaster, the Sink at Ports, and in London itself the Parliament may fetch out any man, even the Lord Mayor himself, and the reason is because what the Parliament doth is done by themselves, for they have their burgesses, etc., there. Nor need they fear that the Parliament will do any man wrong, and we have consented to hold our land of the manor of East Greenwich, and so such as our burgesses or knights for that manor are our burgesses also. This only might help us, that the king giving us land which was none of his, but we were forced to purchase it of the natives, or subdue it as vacuum domicilium, we are not bound to hold that of him which was not his. But if we stand upon this plea, we must then renounce our patent and England's protection, which were a great weakness in us, seeing their care hath been to strengthen our liberties and not overthrow them. And if the Parliament should hereafter be of a malignant spirit, etc., then if we have strength sufficient, we may make use of salus populi to withstand any authority from thence to our hurt. Fourth. Again, if we have so openly declared our affection to the cause of the Parliament, by our prayers, fastings, etc., should now oppose their authority, or do anything that might make such an appearance, it would be laid hold on by those in Virginia and the West Indies to confirm them in their rebellious course, and it would grieve all our godly friends in England, or any other of the Parliament's friends. Lastly, if any of our people have any goods in the ship, it is not to be questioned, but upon testimony the Parliament will take order for their satisfaction. It was objected by some that ours is perfecta res publica, and so not subject to appeals, and consequently to no other power but among ourselves. It was answered that though our patent frees us from appeals in cases of judicature, yet not in point of state, for the King of England cannot erigere perfectum republicanum in such a sense, for nemo potest plus juris in elios transferre quam in se habet, he hath not an absolute power without the Parliament. Footnote. The spirit of independence is notable here. In footnote. Upon these and other considerations, it was not thought fit to oppose the Parliament's commission, but to suffer the captain to enjoy his prize. But because some of the merchants had put goods aboard her, wherein they claimed property, they desired to try their right by action, to which the captain consented to appear, 
So a court was called of purpose, the issue where it follows after. Footnote. See Post, page 190, in footnote. The third manner which fell into consideration at the said meeting at Salem was about one Franklin, who at the last court of his assistance was found guilty of murder, but some of the magistrates doubting of the justice of the case, he was reprieved till the next court of assistance. The case was this. He had taken to apprentice one Nathaniel Sewell, one of those children sent over the last year for the country. The boy had the scurvy, and was withal very noisome, and otherwise ill-disposed. His master used him with continual rigor and unmerciful correction, and exposed him many times to such cold and wet in the winter season, and used diverse acts of rigor towards him, as hanging him in the chimney, etc., and the boy being very poor and weak, he tied him upon a horse and so brought him, sometimes sitting and sometimes hanging down to Boston, being five miles off, to the magistrates, and by the way the boy, calling much for water, would give him none, though he came close by it, so as the boy was near dead when he came to Boston, and died within a few hours after. Those who doubted whether this were murder or not did stick upon two reasons chiefly. First, that it did not appear that the master's intentions was to hurt him, but to reform him. Second, in that which was most likely to be the occasion or cause of his death, he was busied about an action which in itself was lawful, viz., the bringing of him before the magistrates, and murder cannot be committed but where the action and intention both are evil. To this it was answered, that this continual act of cruelty did bring him to death by degrees, and the last act was the consummation of it and that this act, in regard to the subject who, to the apprehension of all that saw him, was more fit to be kept in his bed than to be hailed but to correction, was apparently unlawful. As in a case a man had a servant sick in bed of the smallpox newly come forth, and that his master knowing and seeing these upon his body should, against the physician's advice, hail him forth of his bed into the open air and frosty weather, upon pretense that he might ease nature, etc., this act, in regard of the state of the subject, were utterly unlawful, and if the servant should die under his hand, etc., it were murder in him. As for the intention, though prima intentio might be to reform him, yet sure proxima intentio was evil, because it arose from distemper of passion. And if a man in a sudden passion kill his dear friend or child, it is murder, though his prima intentio were to instruct or admonish him. And in some cases where there appears no intention to hurt, as where a man knowing his ox to have used to push shall not keep him in, so as he kills a man, he was to die for it. Though to keep an ox were a lawful act, and he did not intend hurt, but because he did not what he reasonably ought to prevent, etc., therefore he was a murderer. And that in Exodus, if a master strikes his servant with a rod, which is a lawful action, and he die under his hand, as the servant did, he was to die for it. And that in Deuteronomy, if a man strike with a weapon or with his hand, or anything therewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer, shows plainly that let the means be what it may, if it be voluntarily applied to an evil intent as a murder, according to the judgment given against her that gave a potion to one to procure his love, and it killed him, it was a judged murder. All the magistrates, seeming to be satisfied upon this conference, warrant was signed by the governor for his execution a week after, which was not approved by some in regard of his reprieval to the next court of assistance but it was without any good reason for a condemned man is in the power of the magistrates to be executed when he please, and the reprieval was no stipulation or covenant with him, but a determination among the magistrates for the satisfaction of some who were doubtful, which satisfaction being attained, Karat lex, etc., Proverbs 22, he shall go to the pit, let no man hinder him. 
This man had been admitted at the church of Roxbury about a month before, and upon this he was cast out, but the church, in compassion to his soul after his condemnation, procured license for him to come to Roxbury, intending to receive him in again before he died, if they might find him truly penitent. But though presently after his condemnation he judged himself and justified God in the court, yet then he quarreled with the witnesses and justified himself, and so continued even to his execution, professing assurance of salvation, and that God would never lay the boy his death to his charge, but the guilt of his blood would lie upon the country. Only a little before he was turned off the ladder, he seemed to apprehend some hardness of heart, that he could not see himself guilty of that which others did. End of section 18